Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go over at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 16, verses 1 to 8, and then through J.C. Rowe's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Let us observe in this passage the power of strong love to Christ. We have a forceful illustration of this in the conduct of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which Mark here records. He tells us that they had brought sweet spices to anoint our Lord, and that very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. We may well believe that it required great courage to do this. To visit the grave in the dim twilight of an eastern daybreak would try most women under any circumstances. But to visit the grave of one who had been put to death as a common malefactor, and to rise early to show honor to one whom their nation had despised, this was a mighty boldness indeed. Yet these are the kind of acts which show the difference between weak faith and strong faith, between weak feeling and strong feeling towards Christ. These holy women had tasted of our Lord's pardoning mercies. Their hearts were full of gratitude to him for light and hope and comfort and peace. They were willing to risk all consequences in testifying their affection to their Savior. So true are the words of the Song of Solomon. Love is strong as death. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. Song of Solomon 8, 6-7 Why is it that we see so little of this strong love to Jesus among Christians of the present day? How is it that we so seldom meet with saints who will face any danger and go through fire and water for Christ's sake? There is only one answer. It is the weak faith and the low sense of obligation to Christ which so widely prevail. A low and feeble sense of sin will always produce a low and feeble sense of the value of salvation. A slight sense of our debt to God will always be attended by a slight sense what we owe for our redemption. It is the man who feels much forgiven who loves much. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Luke 7.47 Let us observe, secondly, in this passage, how the difficulties which Christians fear will sometimes disappear as they approach them. These holy women, as they walked to our Lord's grave, were full of fears about the stone at the door. They said among themselves, 
Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the tomb? But their fears were needless. Their expected trouble was found not to exist. When they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away. What a striking emblem we have in this simple narrative of the experience of many Christians. How often believers are oppressed and cast down by anticipation of evils, and yet, in the time of need, find the thing they feared removed and the stone rolled away. A large proportion of a saint's anxieties arise from things which never really happen. We look ahead to all the possibilities of the journey towards heaven. We conjure up in our imagination all kinds of crosses and obstacles. We mentally carry tomorrow's troubles as well as today's. And often, very often, we find at the end that our doubts and alarms were groundless, and that the thing we dreaded most has never come to pass at all. Let us pray for more practical faith. Let us believe that in the day of duty, we shall never be entirely forsaken. Let us go forward boldly, and we shall often find the lion in the way is chained, and what appears to be a hedge of thorns is only a shadow. Let us observe thirdly in this passage that the friends of Christ have no cause to be afraid of angels. We are told that when Mary Magdalene and her companions saw an angel sitting in the tomb, they were frightened, but they were at once reassured by his words, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. The lesson at first sight may seem of little importance. We see no visions of angels in the present day. We do not expect to see them. But the lesson is one which we may find useful at some future time. The day is drawing near when the Lord Jesus will come again to judge the world with all the angels around him. The angels in that day shall gather together his elect from the four winds. The angels shall gather the tares into the bundles and burn them. The angels shall gather the wheat of God into his barn. Those whom the angels take, they shall carry to glory, honor, and immortality. Those whom they leave behind shall be left to shame and everlasting contempt. Let us strive so to live, that when we die we be carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Let us endeavor to be known by angels as those who seek Jesus and love him in this world, and so are heirs of salvation. Let us give diligence to make our repentance sure, and so to cause joy in the presence of the angels of God. Then, whether we wake or sleep, when the archangel's voice is heard, we shall have no cause to be afraid. We shall rise from our grave and see in the angels our friends and fellow servants, in whose company we shall spend a blessed eternity. Let us observe, lastly, in this passage, the exceeding kindness of God toward his backsliding servants. The message which the angel conveys is a striking illustration of this truth. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were bidden to tell the disciples that Jesus goes before them into Galilee, and that there they shall see him. But the message is not directed generally to the eleven apostles. This alone, after their late desertion of their master, would have been a most gracious action. Yet Peter, who had denied his Lord three times, is specially mentioned by name. Peter, who had sinned particularly, is singled out and noticed particularly. There were to be no exceptions in the deed of grace. All were to be pardoned, all were to be restored to favor, and Peter as well as the rest. We may well say when we read words like these, This is not the manner of man. 
On no point, perhaps, are our views of religion so narrow, low, and contracted as on the point of God's exceeding willingness to pardon penitent sinners. We think of him as one such as ourselves. We forget that he delights in mercy. Micah 7.18 Let us leave the passage with a determination to open the door of mercy very wide to sinners in all our speaking and teaching about religion. Not least, let us leave it with a resolution never to be unforgiving toward our fellow men. If Christ is so ready to forgive us, we ought to be very ready to forgive others. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, do we see that love for God and knowing our debt toward God for forgiving our sins go together? Second, Ryle states that Christians are often anxious about things that really never happen. Have you found this experience to be true? Do we tend to bring our cares and anxieties to the Lord or to fretting about them? Three, are we living in such a way that even the angels will rejoice when the Lord calls us home? And fourth, do we think of God as reluctant to forgive our sins when we confess and repent? or that he delights in mercy? Can we be accused of having a narrow, low, and contracted view of God's desire to pardon our sins, or that he abundantly pardons?